0: Howdy, welcome to another episode of Canon Calls. This week, I had the pleasure to interview Nate Fisher of NewFounding.com. Nate is a general partner, chairman of NewFounding. He founded American Forum, which he leads as CEO and serves as chairman of principal investments. Nate has broad investment and company building experience with a particular focus on macro changes and risks. He has made control or lead investments in manufacturing and alternative investment companies. He previously co-founded InvestRes, a billion-dollar real estate company, has helped launch several civic organizations, and is a Claremont Institute Lincoln Fellow. Before we get started, I wanted to remind you that we are entering into our final release of Man Rampant Season 4. This week, we are releasing Jared Longshore's episode, The Engine of Reformation, this is a conversation you do not want to miss, and it can be found exclusively at mycanonplus.com. If you don't have a subscription yet, I highly, highly recommend you go get a subscription at mycanonplus.com and listen to all of season four as well as previous seasons. Without further ado, meet Nate Fisher. All right, now welcoming on special guest, Nate Fisher. He is a general partner and chairman of New Founding. He founded American Forum, which he leads as CEO and serves as chairman of Principal Investments. Nate, thanks so much for coming on, man. Thanks for having me. Welcome to Moscow. Thank you. Been here for a few days.
1: Been here since uh, Sunday, so uh, wonderful time, wonderful chance to uh, meet a lot of people. I'd I, i interacted with or gotten to know.
0: Good, good. Well, I mentioned last night that, you, so you are currently in Dallas. Yes. I just came from Dallas-Fort Worth and I can tell you the weather here. Slightly better. Phenomenal. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we're sending you back today? Or
1: where I am. My, I'm down to Boise today and okay. back to Dallas tomorrow.
0: All right. So you still got a day. Yep. You still got a day to enjoy. Awesome. All right. Well, Nate, do you mind just telling us who you are? What? We'll, we'll introduce us to yourself.
1: Absolutely. So I, uh, uh, I'll start with with background. Yeah. I grew up uh, Christian family, upstate New York, uh, sort of a country uh, exurban area. I Was uh, homeschooled, and it was it, it was relatively rare at that time. It, uh, and homeschooled in a way that was sort of uh, it, it was definitely interesting and alternative. Okay. and that uh, that shaped me in important ways i think i've always looked at the world uh, from a, a perspective of uh, uh where are the outside opportunities where are the where are the angles to have okay. impact in a meaningful way yep. uh, that will advance the things i care about which uh which was heavily shaped by the, the christian upbringing and uh and just what's an interesting uh what's an interesting way to look at things so grew up there i went off went off to calvin college which uh, was associated with the denomination i grew up in okay uh from uh, from that time i was always uh, i was skeptical of calvin's approach i was skeptical of its trajectory even then Uh, i was very interested in politics and
0: can you tell us a little bit about calvin like what do you mean by that what what do
1: they so Calvin, uh, I think Calvin displays a lot of the pathologies that you see in uh, many uh, institutions, Christian institutions of higher education, or uh, formerly Christian institutions of higher education. It's, and really in a lot of uh, a lot of the evangelical church more broadly. Okay. and it's uh, it, it has a I think a profound lack of confidence in its tradition. And in the truths that uh, we understand to be true, right. that uh, as a reformed, uh, it was a Christian reformed, which is Dutch reformed branch uh, of Christianity, uh, share with uh, with many others uh, in this world. And Calvin, it's an incredibly rich intellectual heritage, and yet I, th- I felt like Calvin spent far more time trying to uh, get you to question what you were taught, and uh, without providing anything strong to fill it and there was a uh, there was an embarrassment about that tradition there was a uh there was a aspiration to be uh more uh broad-minded I guess you could say more uh more like the world when it comes down to it, it. and what that led to at a school like Kelvin which is not an exceptional uh it's not an exceptional school by many metrics uh is a a mediocrity the mediocrity of someone who's following a trend 30 years too late Got maybe it. and it's uh when, when it could be it, it could be leading the way in a uh in an incredibly important tradition uh, and one that actually shaped many of the uh, greatest uh universities in our country totally. so just seeing and i guess that 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 aligns with sort of the the skepticism i've always had of uh that was where i first sort of saw this uh follower mindset and was yeah. was just disgusted by it and and even when i didn't really appreciate what I needed to be disgusted about. I just, uh, I found it unappealing. I found <laughs> yeah. it uninteresting. It, it was not inspiring. So.
0: Okay. So you left Calvin and then you went to Harvard.
1: Yes. So I went to I went to Harvard Law School. I'd already decided that politics likewise was a place where at, at that time uh, rewarded the sort of follower careerist mindset. Uh, so I had abandoned that course and uh, decided that business uh, and investment was a place that would uh, it was a place that could reward a non-consensus but correct bet, and uh, so I was entirely focused on business went yep. to law school uh plan was to go into investing graduated in 2010 and partnered with a classmate to start a uh, an investment firm that bought distressed real estate in Florida which at the time was very much of a non-consensus bet and it was one that was that was informed by these macro ideas that uh, People were moving to places like Florida, where we uh, where we went, and uh, essentially, if you if we if we went in in a distressed environment and was that we able to buy things cheaply, yep. uh, and we were able to hold on to it long enough, then uh, there was possibility of asymmetric upside just by really trusting these uh, macro tailwinds that we recognized. So did that for uh, did that for about three uh, four years, really. Uh, Finished that up. Uh, did a number of other things. Uh, going back to uh, to law school, I met my wife in Christian Fellowship at uh, at law school. Yeah, uh, got married a couple of years after we graduated. Uh, we now have four kids. I uh, she now homeschools them. Awesome. So uh, following uh, following uh, path I grew up in in many ways. Yeah, we live in Dallas now. But I yeah. uh, I guess going back to a, a little bit more, did some more stuff in business, some more okay. uh, some some travel, some really. Uh, trying to understand patterns I saw around the world and really understand the macro themes and forces that were going to be shaping the world in the coming decades, uh, which, uh, which I saw as technology first and foremost, sure. and, and uh, the intersection of technology and human talent. And, uh, and then with the election of Trump, I really recognized that what my old hypothesis on politics was no longer true. And politics was now, a domain that was uh, undergoing a paradigm shift driven by the non-consensus ideas. Okay. so uh, the careers were being pushed aside that was at least on the right especially and it was the uh, it was the the ability to look outside the box that was actually uh, driving change that was not just limited to the political domain that was really crossing these other domains I was interested in business uh, investment, technology were all intersecting around uh, visions that were you could say political they're they're ultimately about how people live together in ways that are profoundly political that are reshaping the world so that uh, that drew me more and more in that direction uh, moved to Dallas partially uh, partially because of that and launched what I'm doing now
0: so I want to go back to when you mentioned that what you saw in politics in DC was that, uh, Careerists, such as I think you use the example of Mitt Romney types. Yep. So, can you talk a little bit about the careerist types versus what? And you've used no, uh, the consensus, non-consensus a little bit. Does that play a role? In it? Can, can you talk a little bit about those characteristics? What are you, what, what as opposed to what Mitt Romney versus a what kind of?
1: So I think thing. there's, there's two elements, uh, and one is maybe neutral and one is, uh, can't even be virtuous. And one I think is negative to okay. that. Uh, there's a lot of virtues in, in people like Mitt Romney, yeah. uh, but I would say the careerist is, uh, th- there's an element of just following the path that's put in front of you, following the path that, uh, elites in society or that authorities tell you to follow. And yeah. in many ways, Romney's an elite, but in many ways, he was someone who, uh, climbed all the elite ladders and never really uh, I think he led in a in a way that was changing the direction
0: he just let gravity take him to yes.
1: and I think that, that that goes to my point about many in the uh many in the evangelical churches they have a sort of embarrassment about their tradition so instead of uh self-confidently seeking the truth they they follow those same societal elites so uh, ultimately it's a it's trends led by uh, by Harvard by the by a sort of expert apparatus that is that, that is uh capped by harvard yep and uh and then i would say the, the 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 worst side of this is the side that is uh that is accepting a agenda that is fundamentally flawed right now so i think in a virtuous society right following uh following norms and conventions uh without questioning them is uh, it's good to pursue the truth but it's also good to uh, put your head down and uh uh, focus on raising a family and, yep. uh, and really doing what you're encouraged to do. But we're in a world where our, uh, elites are not virtuous, uh, particularly, uh, particularly once you get into the uh, intellectual and academic direction, there's profound ideological, uh, uh error that is, uh, as we're seeing now, I think, uh, pulling in every aspect of society. And so a, a tendency to follow that leads to a, uh, a tendency to, uh, for even often, seemingly virtuous people to become yeah. complicit in uh, in great evils, or at least complicit in uh, failing to fight them.
0: And then, what are the, some of the characteristics that you thought? Okay, I'll go to business maybe to look for these sets of characteristics. What were those? Tell us a little bit more about those.
1: So the the way I look at the world is what is I. Uh, what is an opportunity to do something that's going to have uh, very, very high positive optionality or asymmetrically positive impact? Where can I, uh, I, I try not to predict the world too much. Even when I, I go to my investment thesis, I knew there were tailwinds, but I, I had no idea when exactly apartments were going to recover. Uh, it's, it's a matter of, it's an uncertain world. It's a world where there's a lot of randomness and, uh, in an environment like that, the question is uh, where, uh, but it's, it's also something that can change in significant ways. And often, again, I think change in ways that go far beyond the models, uh, set by the sort of, uh, Romney types, the careers. Yeah. And so what, what interests me is where, where I can make moves where you can make moves that will, uh, that will offer many ways to win on a very, very large scale, or they'll offer reasonable ways to win on a very large scale on yeah. uh, maybe orders of magnitude more than the risk you're taking. Some yeah. cases where the risk is uh, what would be seen as risk what would be perceived as risk as others is actually not even that risky. It doesn't, it, it wouldn't be that bad. It, it would be a departure maybe from convention, but it wouldn't be that bad. So uh, it, it wasn't necessarily anything specific to the nature of business and investing. Although I think that uh, the benefit of that world is it's a world that is uh, that can be less subject to the sort of games that constrain uh, yep. other spaces, uh, but it, it was really that uh, th- that ability to sort of look from a cross disciplinary perspective at the world at uh, at at gaps or at at opportunities that were uh, were not reflected in the consensus view that could uh, could offer that kind of return.
0: Awesome, awesome. Can you talk a little bit about new founding? How does new founding fit in sort of what you love and what gets you up in the morning.
1: So New Founding, new founding was the culmination of uh, some of these threads that went back to, uh, to those early days in business, as well as some of the later ones I mentioned, uh, the recognition of politics as a, yeah. uh, a driving force. What New Founding... Uh, new Founding is essentially a venture organization. It, uh, we have a number of things that we have launched, a number of different organizations, and the mission... Is to revitalize America, and it's to revitalize America by bringing a, uh, bringing and amplifying a vision uh, for where, uh, uh, for what we as Americans can aspire to, for what the right can aspire to, for for what a way of life uh, should look like, what a distinct and different way of life should look like, and uh, this is something that. The right conservatives with a conservative mindset have not been good at. I think the conservative mindset tends toward a uh, uh, an instinct to criticize where things are going, an instinct to say stop or to slow, say slow down, yeah. rather than to uh, fight for a an alternative aspirational vision, like
0: a and, positive vision forward.
1: Exactly, and uh, as Americans, I, I, first of all, I think that's out of step with the American spirit. Americans, one reason I think we've been losing in so many ways for the last uh, seventy five years or more is uh, Americans, in their spirit, aspire to something. I mean, we are a country of people who came over i uh, cross the uh, cross the Atlantic, who uh, came to build things, who came to, in many cases uh, build societies with new visions. You think of Winthrop's vision, and it was a uh, uh, it was a great experiment a yep. city on a hill and that's uh that's in our blood in ways that, that that's in our psyche in ways that are are going to draw us to whoever offers the biggest vision yep. and the right has not even played that game in many ways i think there's a few people have done a decent job of that people like reagan have inspired that way and, and then trump really offered a positive vision uh, but we need a much broader one, and so what, what? we're doing at New Founding is is offering a vision uh, that I think is compelling enough; it'll draw people. Uh, and it's really drawing on it's not it's not doing anything new. Sure. There's areas where we need to explore. There's areas where, like lifestyle, where uh, one of my colleagues, Aaron Wren, for instance, has yeah. done a lot of exploration around uh, how should a man live today? You can't just imitate the '50s. You can't just uh, right. you can't just go back. It's a new uh, it's a new landscape. And uh, so there's a lot of exploration to be done there. Uh, there's a lot of uh, ideas that have uh, taken off and need to be developed out. Uh, but then there's a lot of just amplifying that through savvy media. So in many ways, we're a media organization that uses media to amplify a picture of what an alternative commercial and cultural vision could look like that uh, that adds on to the political, builds on and adds on to the political themes that we've really seen. Uh, dominating the national discussion, and then beyond that, we're not just uh, communicating those as a media company, but using that to bring people together, uh, to, to amplify a message that brings people together, uh, to actually form the organizations that will realize this vision. So the most important part is uh, using using that media as leverage to actually uh, realize this vision. And that's uh, that's fundamentally what we are as a venture organization. So uh, central to this is a technology, is a new technology model, a new model of network, which will help uh, bring in people who are drawn to this, help uh, organize and navigate the world uh, as, as virtually all apps do now, uh, and do so in a way that is conducive to the ends that we are uh, uh, we are laying out for people.
0: So, the vision. What can you talk about the content of the vision? Unto what w- New Founding is doing all this? Unto what?
1: So, so uh, this will get into uh, uh, one of the organizations that we founded, which is American Reformer. Okay. And uh, I've actually been less involved in American Reformer, partially because we have an amazing team that is running it okay. uh, enough that it requires less uh, less Perfect. involvement. But uh, Aaron Wren was a co founder of that. Okay. Uh, Josh Abatoy is the executive director of it. Ben Dunson runs the journal. Okay. And American Reformer uh, is two things. Uh, one is a journal that seeks to restore the traditional Protestant understanding uh, of uh, theology and especially politics and culture. Okay. Uh, so I saw that as necessary for any vision. Ultimately, any vision, uh, any vision that practically is going to succeed in America, but also any vision that is worth fighting for, that should succeed, must be anchored to Christianity. It must be anchored to a robust Christian understanding of what America should look like, of what our society should look like. Uh, and in many ways, the evangelical church especially has lost that. Okay. It's uh, I think it's a very, uh, often a very Anabaptist effectively view, a very individualistic view, uh, one that's often averse to, uh, to political implications of that. One that is in stark contrast to the, uh, the doctrines that really helped shape the country at the time of our founding and helped uh, ha- helped build our country, which were uh strongly christian uh strongly within that that traditional magisterial protestant uh vision and and ultimately uh something you still see shades of having they've lost the christian uh, ethic, but shades of that even in mainline churches, which still uh, uh it was traditionally uh, mainline christian mainline Protestantism that actually uh pushed a lot of social change and a lot of, uh, a, a political, uh, reflection of their values. So we need to be in that domain and, uh, the church, to some extent, the church needs to be, uh, brought into that domain. Uh, to some extent we need to, uh, uh, re-explore what it even means in today's world. And, uh, so our journal does that. Okay. And then the organization also actually fights, uh, helps organize, uh, within institutions to actually, uh, fight, for Christian institutions to okay. try to uh try to restore and recapture uh often great institutions that were built by people who shared this vision. So, uh, going to the question of the vision, that that was a, a little detour, sure. but I, that that points to the fact that the vision needs to be anchored to truth that really matters. It's yeah. not just it, it's not just a vision of what we like. It's not it, it's not some sort of purely uh creative endeavor. It is a a deep exploration grounded in uh, in the truth, grounded in our tradition of uh, of what our society could and should look like. And then uh, another part of that, another publication of ours is uh, Return, which okay. is a tech, it's led by James Polos okay. uh, and my colleague, Matt Peterson. And that explores the question of what does it mean to live as a human in the digital age? Okay. And that is a, uh, it's a profound question in an era where I think the fundamental, one of the fundamental uh alternatives we're up against is transhumanism uh which in many ways denies and denigrates uh the concept of humanity and uh seeks to replace it with technology seeks to rule us with technology so we explore that question it's a question the right doesn't spend a lot of time thinking about mark zuckerberg gets up every day thinking about uh, what your life will be like in the digital age and a lot of uh, a lot of Christians don't like his vision. A lot of Christians complain about what he builds. They complain about his vision. Uh, not a lot of them spend a lot of time, uh, realizing that we will be in a uh, world profoundly shaped by digital technology. Even if you don't, even if you don't use a smartphone, right. your world is going to be shaped by this technology. And, uh, we should be thinking about an alternative. We should, uh, we must be thinking about alternative. So return explores a lot of those questions. Align is our, uh, our most popular publication it's a uh, uh, one that's grown very very quickly and it's a newsletter uh you can find it at joinalign.us subscribe, okay. up, subscribe to it and it's a weekly newsletter that uh tells you how not to buy from people who hate you so <laughs> uh
0: <laughs> yeah
1: highlights a few businesses every week it just sort of lays out uh lays out uh through uh, some brief uh brief descriptions on some topic of uh what it could look like to uh buy from an alternative to uh uh to uh, often some particular company that hates you or uh or, or something like that. We're we're laying out a commercial vision of what a uh what the commercial part of our life could look like.
0: Okay. Okay. The uh I believe I used to read James Pulos in the Federalist. Is that true? Do you know uh, I believe I that's where I read him. He I know I've read him. He's been a
1: prolific writer and yeah. he's, he's certainly written for the Federalist. At times.
0: Okay. Awesome. Awesome. He's
1: now uh, he's now also with the American Mind. So uh okay. he was a he he was with the American Mind since the beginning, has been a uh active writer there. And he has a book called Human Forever that came out recently that okay. lays out a lot of this. But return is uh Return is a broad uh, Sure. It, it's really a, a further exploration, uh particularly focused on that question.
0: Okay. Okay. It sounds and you've mentioned Aaron Wren a few times, who's who's uh a friend of of at least this community um, it seems like you are built and are, uh, especially adept to what he calls the negative world. It seems like you are seeking to win in that kind of setting. Would you describe it that way?
1: Absolutely. And I think it's, uh, it's the reality we live in. And, uh, the fact that in many ways, the fact that we are in a, a new environment where, the established playbooks don't work is particularly conducive to the, uh, the approach I take, uh, the approach I take to look for, for those angles that could offer, uh, significant, uh, significant returns. So, and the way I, and maybe it's just my, my temperament, I am, uh, I'm not just looking at how we can survive in the negative world. I'm, uh, I would say, I, I'm, drawn uh, irresistibly to the questions of how we can win yeah because I believe we can I believe that uh as negative as the world is today uh toward our our views in many ways it's uh, it, it, it's stagnating the uh the institutions the hostile institutions are are much weaker than they appear uh, yep. in many cases they're they're crumbling they've already experienced effectively a uh, a bankruptcy of their credibility. And so I believe that we can win.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, uh, you, you said something when you were talking about with something that will win in America, a business, a vision that will win in America. Yes. You mentioned that, um, especially for a Christian organization, they have to be a robustly Christian organization in order to win. I was curious about what you see. What is it about? being what is it do you see in Christianity that makes it conducive to winning and especially like robustly christian
1: so I'll, th- there's a couple of layers one is uh it is the truth yep. and yeah. <laughs> uh that is compelling in a way that yep. uh it's compelling in ways that nothing else will be lies can be compelling in their own ways yep. uh but the the truth is compelling but another, uh, and, uh, another one is it, it is part of the American tradition. So, uh, a message framed in Christian terms will resonate with people, even people who aren't, 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 they're not, they don't deeply understand the theology, right. uh, but it'll, uh, it'll culturally resonate in certain ways. And I mean that particularly in, in the Protestant, uh, tradition that shaped our country. I think Presbyterian is, uh, Center to central to that tradition, it really is. Uh, uh, it really is something that will uh, will reach a lot of people. But th- there's a broader one, and this is not uh, this, this is not a guarantee of a Christian victory. But in the digital age, uh, the, the digital age uh, and digital transformation are dispelling any notion of uh, neutrality and of the possibility of a right. uh, a neutral public square or a or a sort of toned down uh public square and I uh, I'd illustrate this it's the nature of algorithms themselves the nature of uh, how digital curation works which shapes uh every aspect of how you engage effectively the digital public square and the example I use is Google I uh, you type in a Google search result, uh, you type in a search term and you get results and there's a number one, there's a number two, there's a number 10, there's a number 100, uh, there, there must be some conception of the good that determines, uh, why something is one and why something is two. There's no possibility of neutrality when the whole point of that algorithm is to rank the world for you. So there will be values built into that and the left has realized this, uh, the left, the woke, uh, the woke crowd, uh, with their AI ethics and many, many other campaigns, the, the whistleblower at, uh, Facebook, for instance, all realized that, uh, something assertive is going to be the, uh, it, it is going to be the winning state here. And they have been, uh, they've been pushing that. They've been pushing out the idea of a neutral public square for, uh, for decades, and uh, a lot of people on the right like to decry that. They like to talk about uh, diversity of views and all of that, but I, I don't think that view, that vision, has any possibility of surviving uh, as the dominant order in the digital age. So, it sort would, of
0: like a libertarian-neutral yes. world, even that that's touted by conservatives, by
1: many conservatives,
0: yeah, won't win that that war. It won't. No. So something
1: will beat something will beat that something assertive yep. people are drawn uh when they see the world ranked like that they are drawn to they are drawn to a message that makes a moral claim that claims that that's ranked in a good way yep. and the left does that with exceptional self-confidence they they will self-confidently assert that their views are true that their views are right and you contrast that with i think the uh the evangelical you could say the neutral worldview uh in some ways i would say it's it's worse than that it's sort of an embarrassed uh we had a a great article in american reformer called the evangelical embarrassment reflex and this idea that we've had this embarrassment about our views uh for for decades going back to uh, i think the founding of fuller seminary embodied this and uh and and something assertive and morally assertive and confident will win uh in a world that uh, it'll win over someone who's afraid to assert their uh, yes. th- the truth of their views and in if the digital world means that this neutral uh square is uh is ins- unsustainable then then what can beat that woke view and i think what right. what can beat that woke view is a extremely confident, deeply grounded, uh, Christian view. It, uh, it it is truth that draws a lot of people. It's also, uh, in line with our tradition, which is going to draw a lot of people, even who that they'll recognize, uh, they'll, they'll recognize the goodness of it in many ways, even when they don't (sighs) even necessarily understand why. Right. And, And that itself can be a means of drawing people to the truth of Christianity. Right. And, uh, Finally, it's uh, there, there's a charisma simply from being self confident, and I think you see that on the on the left, where they often their messages are absurd, they're uh, they're patently offensive. If people would have uh, thought about them five years from now, but they're just said with a level of uh, of moral confidence that convinces people, especially convinces people in a world where they have not been uh, well formed, well educated to right. to think through moral truth. So uh, they can play that game, but. Christians should be able to play that game even better. We should be able to assert. Uh, we should be able to assert uh, the truth of Christianity, and we should be able to assert with confidence its uh, its implications in public morality uh,
0: more confidently than anyone else can. Reminds me, there was a, a talk Doug gave, Doug Wilson gave, not a couple years ago, and it was on the essay about, and I forget the gentleman's name, who basically said you had like uh, postmodernism, and then what? And he basically said that postmodernism was sort of it. Um, there was nothing further. There was no. There's not going to be a post-post, whatever. Um, and Pastor Wilson talked about how um, basically either Islam or Christianity will take yep. take over. Just because uh, Islam, especially at the moment or at the time of that talk, they go to bed and know who they are. They wake up and know who they are. They know their goals. They have in mind a vision, as you were talking about earlier of what they want the world to look like. And it was essentially in order, you know, Christians ought to be this kind of people, but clearly in a in a nation where we have a clear religious majority, we're not a nation of Christians who know exactly who they are and know what they believe and know what they are looking for.
1: Absolutely, and I think in some sense, Islam or Christianity, uh, in some sense, uh, wokeism and islam are converging in right. important ways i mean it's they're both very uh they, they both have an angry god uh yeah. it's a very they're they're both very carnal in the way they look at the world Yep. and uh and they both uh they both are not afraid to assert uh very strong uh moral opinions and judgments on the world right. so it, it's whether it's islam or uh they believe wokeism, them I'm and not sure. are
0: not embarrassed by them yes. as you were talking about earlier like, exactly. the left credit to them to some extent can say like up is down with moral gravity and no, no embarrassment that they ought to have and can really get some stuff done in, in the meantime.
1: Absolutely. So I, I, I exactly. Those, those are the options. And, uh, what that gives, what that gives me is a confidence that certainly as a alternative, our approach is the right approach. Right. Uh, to actually win over the left uh, and to avoid a, a trajectory that uh, that could take us toward a, uh, a sort of CCP-like merger of uh, rule by Google, we need to uh, we need to do more than be right, and we need to do more than than uh, assert the truth. But I think we need to. Uh, we need to be extremely savvy about how we approach this. We need to innovate. We need to leverage technology. We need to recognize their weaknesses and recognize where there's opportunities uh, that can be built on that they, uh, even though they're in many ways so much more dominant in this space, uh, fail to because of their uh, their blind spots and their flawed views of human nature. And that fundamentally is what uh, what excites me. That's what gets me up in the morning is recognizing that uh, Google and Facebook uh, which seems so powerful in so many ways uh, harvard they are uh, they are much weaker i think than many people believe uh they have uh incredible blind spots uh they are uh, they are in many cases committing uh a, a sort of suicide uh, because of their uh the, the the ideologies they're accepting and if we if we challenge them if we if we uh, recognize uh, what they're leaving on the table and pursue that, which which goes to what I'm doing on the technology side, we can build something that is actually far more powerful, uh, not just as a means for us to survive, to put our heads down in a Benedict option, but as a means to uh, to reshape the country in a way that is uh, is true and is far more appealing to most people.
0: One of my last questions here, what do you think for you know, we are in the negative world. Basically, the world sees Christian values, Christian norms, negatively. Yep. We're no longer sort of uh, an accepted position at the table of of tastemakers. Uh, what do you think are three character traits for Christians that they must have, especially in in a negative world?
1: So I'll start with one that is broader uh, than uh, it's a dynamic of of the world that we're moving into, a period, is we've been in a world where I think we've had a sort of aristocracy of image. Uh, you think of the sort of post-Kennedy era where politicians were, uh, the, the politicians who rose were those who knew how to look good on television. And yeah. I, I, I think an MBA... Uh, teaches you to look like a businessman. And sure. we are led by institutions uh, of people who uh, look good. That is their skill. And uh, that's uh, going to pull us as, uh, sort of his view of the world. That is a dominant trait of the televisual world. And as we experience digital transformation, the the information value of image declines. So uh, we've already seen the fact that uh, looking good on television no longer carries the sort of uh, broad authority across the country that it once did. There's in a sense, been a, uh, a uh, credibility bankruptcy there for people who don't want to follow the person ideologically. And, uh, you think of how Instagram, for instance, makes it much less expensive for anyone to look good. Right. Uh, you, you think of deep fakes that are coming and in. the information value of an image is zero. It's converging towards zero. And in that world, uh you're not going to uh you are not going to be led by people whose skill is looking good I think that's that's been the dominant skill that has probably shaped many of the institutions that uh in our world the evangelical institutions uh what will replace that uh what will replace that what carries meaningful information in this digital age is costly signal uh and you see that uh, on the one hand you see that in in the Bitcoin world where proof of work is uh is a costly signal uh, another form of costly signal is courage. Uh, courage is a form of skin in the game where you you have chosen to take a risk that cannot be faked. And so I think we will inevitably see uh, as a replacement for this aristocracy of uh, of image, which is going to disappear, I believe we will see an aristocracy of courage a rise of a leadership class defined by their willingness to take risks and that that is not necessarily virtuous i think napoleon obviously sure. had great courage sure genghis khan had great courage uh, i i uh, i would like for christians to be i uh, uh, re-emphasizing that virtue that has uh has often been the uh the defining trait of uh, of those who have risen to leadership in the past. So I think elevating courage uh, as a trait we look for in leaders, uh, and I'll couple that with stewardship is a very important one. So uh, when we think of, uh, w- when you look at the failings of many Christian institutions, it is leaders who are embarrassed by past failures, uh, in many ways a failure to recognize grace, God, uh, failure to recognize that God has given you something good, despite the fact that your your forebears have made uh, mistakes in many cases. And so the dominant calling should be uh, stewardship rather. So what they want to do is they want to hand it over in many ways to atone for the, the failures of their forebears. They want to hand it over to people who, uh, who are activists, who are essentially uh, calling out those evils, right. uh, which, despite the fact that in many cases, they recognize that those people will let these institutions decay or die. They recognize that, and they don't think they deserve to exist. And I would say that's profoundly opposed to a a Christian view of stewardship, where we've been given many great things that are uh, uh, worth preserving, that are, are, are good gifts of God. And uh, I think the courage needed to make the tough decisions, the unpopular decisions, to steward them are uh, are incredibly important to uh, to preserving uh, what's really still even in a negative world, many many good things, many institutions. And if I'm going to go with the third one, I think it's uh, it is a, uh, a a commitment to seeking the truth. It's a commitment to reading the Bible to humbly uh, humbly. Uh, pursuing that uh, knowing that it is uh, uh it's not something that we're gonna be taught it's not something that we can even count on social norms to sort of tacitly build up by uh, tacitly support this Christian morality I think it's far more work uh, it's far more work to uh to ensure uh, that sort of Christian uh, Christian understanding uh, than it it may have been in past uh, generations there's a real benefit to a christian society i think a culturally christian society does uh does a fair amount of the work of yep. uh, of catechizing us of uh, of of at least at least sort of morally catechizing us and in a, in a negative world that rejects that christian morality we uh, we need to do more within the churches within the families uh, or and proactively seek out institutions alternative institutions that are uh conducive to that
0: where would you want to point folks if they've if they've listened and heard and want to you know stay in touch with you and what all you're up to where's best for them
1: so you can go to newfounding uh, New Founding, uh okay. the the homepage of the organization newfounding.com and that'll list out all the organizations all the projects were, we're on uh align the newsletter join align.us that's I'd, I'd encourage everyone to subscribe to that uh, that will give you updates on everything we're doing and finally uh american reformer is uh americanreformer.org and that's uh that's i i learn something every time i read one of those articles i think it's an excellent excellent publication and uh we'll give you a uh Give you perspectives that are outside of the uh, the, the big Eva tent on a uh, broad range of topics.
0: Awesome, awesome, Nate. It's super exciting and it's super encouraging to hear about. We talk a lot about Reformation, especially in in these circles here in Moscow and and uh, other like minded media companies. And it's awesome to see it happening in lanes that you don't often hear about. It you know we're we're very accustomed to schools media in general, but you know it's super encouraging to hear what it looks like in big in tech and in investments and everything else so
1: well I've enjoyed uh, I've enjoyed visiting here and seeing the uh, the on the ground uh, <laughs> the, the local uh, vision of that so I think there's a uh, there's a lot of uh, complementarity there and awesome really appreciated this chance to talk with you absolutely thanks.